Hi, everyone. Before we get to the show, I wanted to let you know about my new on-demand course for discovering and developing core values. On this podcast, I've chatted with many guests about the importance of incorporating core values in their life and career. High achievers will tell you it's the key to many of their accomplishments. I get asked a lot by readers of Friday Forward and Elevate about the best way to do this, and I haven't had an easy answer to date. This course is that way. The course walks you through a tested method to help you brainstorm, refine, and test a list of personal core values. The course can be completed in about an hour, but it will prompt plenty of reflection and work in the days, weeks, and months that follow. Start discovering the principles that matter most to you and get better alignment. You can learn more about the course at corevaluescourse.com. I hope you check it out at corevaluescourse.com. Now let's get to the episode. Every single time a new something rolls out, I have a historical red flag alarm that goes off in my head that says, observe this trend if there's an opportunity where you or a client can seize a moment and gain audience and attention, jump on it. Welcome to Elevate, a podcast about achievement, personal growth, and pushing limits in leadership and life. I'm Robert Glazer, and I chat with world-class performers who have committed to elevating their own life, pushing the limits of their capacity, and helping others to do the same. Welcome to the Elevate Podcast. Our quote for today is from Seth Godin, marketing is no longer about the stuff you make, but the stories you tell. Our guest today, Todd Hartley, is a master of marketing. He is the founder of Wirebuzz, a firm that helps businesses amplify their sales with world-class video marketing. He's also a sought-after speaker on video marketing and creating compelling marketing narratives and leading others to overcome adversity. Todd, it's great to have you on the Elevate podcast. Bob, so much fun to be here with you. Thank you so much for having me. So I always like starting at the beginning. Tell me a little bit about uh, Junior Todd. What were the early years like for you? What did you like doing? What did you not like doing? What was your first job? I grew up in Manhattan Beach, Hermosa Beach, Southern California, just south of LA. My first jobs, by the way, I was that kid growing up in the beach town that would walk around with his camera all the time. And I was always taking photos. My first job was at the only camera store in Hermosa Beach. And not only did I sell cameras, but I got to do one of those 24-hour printing or one-hour printing kind of machines. And it was the perfect job for a kid that was just, you know, loving cameras and telling stories through photos. But what I really got interested in is the power of telling stories and moving people along a journey and then helping them see that big breakthrough epiphany. Like that's always been exciting for me. And so what was your, what was your first real job? I guess if you don't want to consider waiting tables a real job, uh, my first real job was I was a talk show host on the number one and number two stations in Arizona. And I started, Bobby, you'll love this. I started a, this is 1999, dating myself. I started a website because I wanted to have a breaking news site and it felt like that was my path. So I started a news site and then just started pioneering my own path in content marketing and search engine optimization, because at that point, there really wasn't any classes. There weren't people teaching. And everything I learned was trial and trial. And by maybe 2002, my news site was getting 36 million visitors a year on zero ad dollars and a career was born. And I got hired to go out to iHeartRadio, Clear Channel, the premier radio network, one big company and 
lead digital marketing for seven of their largest national talk shows. And it was just for a kid who grew up listening to radio and loved the spoken word, it was like the coolest job in the world because I got to work with people that I always admired and was interested in. And that experience of blending digital with the uh, traditional radio was really like my sweet spot for a long time. All right. So we got to go back to that stat. How did this little website <laughs> yeah. start get 36 million visitors? That wasn't hits, right? That was visitors, you said. Yeah, visitors. And, um, and so I'll tell you, it's really easy. And so one thing I did is I just kept studying the audience and kept identifying what was keeping them around and so on. But where the real spigot of traffic came was... You know, I'm a I'm a futurist. So when I see a developing trend pop up, I seize the moment and run with it. And my career has really been an example of that. But in I remember reading that in like maybe mid 2002 that Google was going to be launching Google News on September 22nd, uh, 2002. And I read what the requirements were and that Google was going to index 4,500 of the top news sites in the world. Uh -huh. And you had to have a news team and you had to have original content on a daily basis. And really, my news team was just me. I was just going to ask you what constituted a news yeah. team. Yeah. So what constituted a news team was like real professionals that are contributing news and there's an editorial board. So I went down that list and I started building out my news site to follow each one of those elements that Google needed. And then anytime a dignitary would be in studio with me, didn't matter if it was the mayor of Phoenix or the governor of Arizona or John McCain or anybody in the Arizona congressional delegation, when they would be in studio, I would sell them on the concept of being a weekly contributor to my news site. And before I knew it, I had a team of 40 people and submitted on day one, September 22nd, 2002. And Google accepted me as the first news site out of Arizona, which meant anytime somebody would go onto Google and they would search for the governor, the mayor, John McCain, or any of those dignitaries, my site would come up first and I was getting mad traffic like a friggin' boss. So you alluded to this, but is this a strategy that you've continued? Do you, you like yeah. find a huge trend that's about to take off yeah. and then figure out how to win that platform? Yeah. I mean, that's a big part of the game because every time a new platform opens up, and by the way, this isn't my only, uh, it's not your only trick, trick in yeah, my I bag, <laughs> but I do have every single time a new something rolls out, I have a historical red flag alarm that goes off in my head that says, observe this trend. If there's an opportunity where you or a client can seize a moment and gain audience and attention, jump on it. And there's another one coming up right now there. Um, Apple is close to announcing its own search engine which will be a really interesting opportunity for people who can figure out the Apple algorithm, seize the day. And then also part of this trick is partnering with that group. So they start writing stories about you and their PR team starts pushing you out there. So there's like a lot of different ways over the years that I've replicated that trick multiple times. Interesting. So in terms of like staying ahead. What do you do to, you know, how did you find out about the Google news? Are you reading certain stuff? Like, yeah. do you have a checklist of like, what's your matrix of making sure that you understand like what the next big platform is? Okay. So I'm obsessed. Like I am obsessed <laughs> with not falling behind in my daily industry reading. When I was at 
it really took off for me. My career really started to fly when I started reading my industry news on a daily basis Yeah, because it allowed me to connect the dots and see where all the big pieces are moving. And if you can identify where the light is at the end of the tunnel, you can position your flag there. So when I was in, in 2003 at iHeart, there were each of those networks that we had in the 1200 radio stations, I would go in and report back to the head of the network on what type of content was developing the best results. That was part of my job to report back. And I kept every Monday bringing the same kind of results. And you know, like, you know, like when you have one of those meetings with the boss, but you feel like you're mailing it in because the data isn't changing. It was one of those scenarios. And I kept reporting back that like video is getting 10 times the results of the audio or the images that we're posting. And so after they kept telling me at the network, but our audience, this doesn't make sense. Um, Our audience, they're audio people. And I kept going like a dummy. Yeah, but they really love video. Um, I just decided in 2003 that his bandwidth, which was really the big limitation and still is uh, in the internet and the progression of new trends, that as bandwidth became more available, video would be a tool for businesses that would be undeniable because the audience loves to consume it at such a freakish level. So I just planted my flag there in 2003 and just knew when the bandwidth would become available, I'd want to be you know, one of the gurus of video for business. Have you ever owned something that inspired you to up your game? Two years ago, I bought a dual suspension mountain bike for the first time, and it pushed me to ride trails that I had never been willing to try before. When we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has exceptional capability that will have you seeing the possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. The Lexus GX comes with available dynamic sky panorama glass roof, available front row massaging seats, best-in-class towing capacity, available 33-inch all-terrain tires, and available multi-terrain select. I've seen the new Lexus GX popping up all around my town, and not only does it have the capabilities to take you to new places on and off the road, but it's a great-looking car. The new Lexus GX is ready to raise the bar for you. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and free. LinkedIn isn't just a job board. It helps you identify and hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. Case in point, last year I asked the CEO of a major ski resort how he got his job, and he told me that he saw it on LinkedIn and decided to apply. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. On LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. The team at LinkedIn is also constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process easier and quicker. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash practical. That's linkedin.com slash practical to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. When did you start uh, Wirebus? 2010. And there wasn't a name for video marketing yet. In fact, I knew that it was, this space was going to open, 
But I was like this. There's a Beatles song, and it's like the fool on the hill who sees the stars in the skies and the world spinning <laughs> around, but nobody believes them. Yeah. I was that dude. And people just didn't believe in video for a long time. And then it eventually became an undeniable force that everybody needs to take into consideration if they're trying to convince and convert people. Well, I want to get into video because I know that's something that a lot of people, I think, in their personal brand and businesses kind of struggle with. But I actually had a question before that. So yeah. a, a lot of businesses, you know, the new thing is always coming out. I feel like they just try to check the boxes. Like, like let's right. even say you're a 20 person company. You're like, oh, I need my LinkedIn page. I need my Facebook page. I need my Instagram. And now, you know, now I need my TikTok account. And, and, and they don't even have the resources really to do maybe one of these well, not 10 of these well. What do you recommend in terms of like going all in on one or, or trying to cover all your bases, you know, for a firm that is not a thousand people yeah. with a 50 person marketing department? You know what? I'd rather be the king of one than a peasant in all of them, right? So I like people leaning in on one, making a presence, but it has to be the right one. Like for right. example, most of my clients, which are like, they're enterprise juggernauts. They don't really need a TikTok presence right now. And, but what they do need to have a presence in is where their target customer is going to be on a daily basis. And so once you figure out what that platform is, you know, it could be, it could be Instagram. In most cases, it's LinkedIn. And before you know it, if you can have a presence there and use that as your discovery platform where people discover you and then go on the journey from there to your website where you can help move them through the logical thought sequence and bring them down the rabbit hole they need to go down in order to decide that you're the right option for them. Like Once you start to map those things out and you become focused, it's significantly easier. Like the biggest mistake that people tend to make in their video marketing campaigns is they fly by the seat of their pants and they don't use any strategy and they don't bake in at the very beginning a blueprint that they're going to execute off of. I, I think COVID has actually been helpful for yep. video adoption. Like I, you know, one of the things I say is we were remote, so we'd always use video. We'd always turn it on with clients to build the rapport. I would tell you that before COVID, Half the clients would sit there with their video off. I had someone who realized they were on video once, went under the desk. You know, there's a real age divide right. between right. people that were like 35 and under, just like natively video all the time. You know, I'd yes. say people 35, 40 over. So now, I mean, this has totally changed yeah. in the last six months. You've got, you know, everyone's grandparents now knows how to use FaceTime and, you know, see the kids. And so how Dude, much- is, My mom is playing cards with yeah. ladies she doesn't know on Zoom somewhere around the world. So I feel like this is the final piece on, I think, getting video, you know, really adopted. So how right. how has all this impacted both the consumer- you know, in terms of being impacted by video and then how companies think about reaching their customers and communicating in different ways. Okay. So the video, how it's impacted the consumer or the customer is video adoption or video views has gone up through the roof yeah. since uh, the beginning of COVID. And there's a lot of psychological reasons in the business space for this. Like, for example, in a big office like mine, if maybe the business owner's walking around, people don't want the business owner seeing them watching video, right? It doesn't feel professional. Even though it might be a business video, it kind of feels like that person's taking some time off. But now that people are working from home, people are working on 
the way that they can learn the fastest and they're adopting new ways. So I think video stats for business has almost doubled since the beginning of COVID. And then naturally as the customer, the customer's always going to be the one that starts the trend. And business always is going to be the one that follows the customer. So this is that developing trend. A lot of businesses are chasing what they can do to get in front of their customer and gain their attention and transfer the knowledge that their salespeople used to do in person, but can't anymore. And the real game is aligning the marketing and the sales team to be using video in different ways, but are complementary. So the marketing team creates professional assets that can be repurposed over time, but the individual salespeople can create personalized videos for their prospect that helps educate and guide them and move them through the decision-making process, all designed so both teams can optimize for the magic word of yes. And when they do that, sales cycles collapse because most of the sales time is wasted while the prospect is learning. And the traditional way of learning has been text and people are four times more likely to watch video than to read text. And after watching, they're 85% more likely to buy. So all we're really doing is optimizing how we transfer knowledge from one person's head, meaning like the sales or the marketing teams directly into the prospect's head. And that's really where the fun is because it changes all of the company's timelines of when they're anticipating revenue. And if you can educate people faster, you can get them to buy faster. So to the extroverted salespeople who are going to be probably locked at home for another six months and feel like, right. you know, they're, they're, <laughs> their main, you know, weapon of dinners and face-to-face and handshakes, all this stuff is, is off the table. How would you encourage someone like that who has no experience with video to think about bringing that into their playbook? Well, I'm about to release a series of training courses that I'm not really ready to announce yet, but I think that's going to be the the easiest, most logical place. But I would start studying remote selling. I've got 20 minutes of, and I'm happy to tell your audience how they can get 20 minutes of free learning in video where I'm teaching some of the big important principles. Yeah, we'll put the link in uh, at the end. All right. So um, really, I think people need to think about their phone. Their, their phone is their primary communication device. And the place to get started is to think about how you can, as you're going through the sales process with the prospect, identify the red flag moments. And there are a lot of red flag moments where a salesperson experiences confusion in the, you know that their prospect's going through, or maybe the right decision maker isn't on the call but they just had a meeting. Like there are a variety of places where you can inject a personalized video back to your prospect that can move them, answer that question, bring the decision maker up to speed who wasn't in the meeting. Or even when you submit a proposal, when you submit a proposal, like the smart salespeople are optimizing for the word yes. The low success salespeople are sending a PDF and they're like washing their hands. And in a little bit of a way, after they send that PDF, they're like, there's a little defeated vibe going on inside because they know sending a PDF sucks because it's going to put them in a pile with other competitors that are all sending PDFs. If you have to ask somebody for money, if you have to give clarity to somebody so they understand your unique value and why buying from you should be a no brainer, 
what they should do, this salesperson, they should put their face on camera and next to them, they should put their slides up there so they can, or whatever material could visually show while they're telling and then teach all the way through the PDF. Like we're going to, here's our proposal. And let me walk you through the strategy here and then send that video off to the, your internal champion at that prospects company. Because when they sit in the room with their decision committee and they open up PDF after PDF with your competitors, but yours is a video with your big, beautiful smile and your eye contact and you're talking people through it. It's so much more human. And the person that gets hired today is the one that goes above and beyond to make sure that their prospect has a clear view on the product and how that solution is going to impact their life. I think that's the most important point that you said. You know, what you're talking about is using technology to be human. And what I am yeah. seeing so much of is these automated workflow, email, chatbot. LinkedIn seems to have shut it right. down because I was getting them every day Me too, on, on LinkedIn. Like, hey, how can we help you, you know, with your business? And, uh, you know, things that you try 10,000 times and, and go for one. And, you know, what was most insulting during, <laughs> during the early stretches of COVID, I'm sure you got these, everyone just amended their like stupid automated thing to put a line in front that I'm, I'm so sorry for during this difficult time. Yes. And then it went into the same the pitch automated. I'm like, that is the most disingenuous thing in the world I've ever seen. Like, and, and right. You can do that 10,000 times and try to, hit something on the wall, or you could spend some time and, and, you know, get a 40% rate on 10 people that are important. And I, it just occurs to me that it's a, it's just a totally different approach. I, the, rather than just, you know, leaning into these volume tool, I just get them every day. And, you know, there's, and they follow up four times with the follow-up is, Hey, did you see my earlier message about the thing <laughs> that you don't need? <laughs> you know, like, right. I, I'm like, you think that's going to make me buy from you? Right. It's actually a very, a pathetic form of marketing. Like if spammers had the right strategy, they wouldn't be spamming all the time. They'd be sitting on the beach, but instead <laughs> their numbers that they've got to put out like thousands of those in order to get the 10 people that engage in order to get the one person that says, yes, the numbers are all off. So what if you flip the script and you get there's three things you need to do. You need to be personalized and relevant. That's the first one. Yeah. The second one is you need to be on demand, meaning whenever your prospect is ready to go through that learning experience. And the third one is it needs to be binge worthy because if somebody's going to give you their attention, pull them all the way through your relevant information, like Netflix would hold somebody through a three-part series or something. Let them crush your information and they will buy from you so much faster. So what do you do with the person who's just, how do you start if you're just not video native and not, this is way out of your comfort zone? Do yeah. you have a recommended sort of process to get to, because you can see it. So yeah. one of the things that's interesting too, that I've noticed, I'd be curious to get your take on this. We did our AP summit totally virtually this year. And there is a, there is an age divide on these things, but people had to pre-record some stuff. And on the asynchronous video, they all looked pissed. <laughs> and in the live stuff, they were all smiling because they had yeah. the human in a reaction. And I realized like, it's really hard when you don't have any human feedback to mm -hmm. like look and like, have some emotion going on <laughs> in the video. Yeah. 
So this is, you know, I spend a portion of my week training salespeople and um, executives how to use the power of video to be more compelling and to, and to amplify their sales results. So I get confronted with this all the time. But when I got started with radio, I had the same exact gripe. I would come home and I would tell my wife how disingenuous it feels because doing a talk show and laughing and engaging and being entertaining super hard when you're the only person in the room. It's like, try doing a, if you should try this, Bob, go in your car the next time you're driving by yourself and do a little mini talk show on a topic like a, a Friday forward and laugh at your jokes. Yeah. It's like impossible, <laughs> it's right? Yeah. And, but that's what you have to do when you're a talk show host. And that's what you kind of have to do when you are creating your little personalized videos. But there's a Tony Robbins quote that I use in my head when I'm thinking about it. And it is repetition is the mother of skill. Yeah. So the more you get yourself into the repetitious cycle, the better you'll be. You'll be like a polishing stone tumbling down the river. And before you know it, you'll have acquired the ability to put yourself on camera, to make eye contact with the camera and not your face on the screen and to engage someone as if they are right in front of you. The phrase I like is make it bad, make it better. And we, you know, we've done this on some calls. We've sent the video back to people and we're just like, you should watch that. Like you have to watch some of these pretty terrible videos of yourself to be like, <laughs> right. oh my God, I'm not smiling at all. Like <laughs> right. you have to over smile, but it, yeah, you got to just turn on the camera, do it and then watch it. And, and, and it's funny, you know, everyone always jokes in the home videos. Now we're used to it. Like they just hated watching yourself, but I, yeah. I don't think there's a better teacher than watching yourself because there isn't, you know, that as a speaker, like yeah. you watch yourself on stage doing what you do. You could look at it and refine your process. You could take that obnoxious, like hand gesture that you're doing yeah. and then like dial that thing down. Like we all do that. This is the next place. Hey, Elevate listeners, whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify is the partner you need to keep the cash register ringing for your e-commerce business. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading platforms. I advise a lot of companies in the e-commerce space, and almost all of them have migrated to Shopify. And as a buyer, what I love about buying from Shopify-enabled sites is that they already know who I am, and I don't have to create a new account or enter all my payment info the ShopPay service makes it faster and easier to buy, which surely helps with conversions. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S., and Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com elevate, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com elevate now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash elevate yeah in fact i i, I tell everyone when I, when I really started speaking for the first time i got up there and i i gave one of the first speeches i gave on culture at a conference and i had worked on it for a long time and i got great feedback and i felt pretty awesome about it so i was actually then wanted to use the content for an article so i i gave it to a transcription service and then when I was reading through it, I was like, oh, God. I was like, I say, and so, um, you know, it's a clear crutch. And, and I started each one with and, and I, it just was so clear how many times I could see it in front of me, like 450 times. And then when I went back and watched it I, I, with that in my mind, and, and it took me a, 
a year to sort of, you know, work that out. And I've, mm-hmm. I've worked with a lot of people on our team on that, on speaking, you know, you start hearing so, so, um, is like a verbal crutch that everyone just right. uses instead of a pause. And when someone points it out to you and you listen to it, you really are motivated to get rid of it. I don't think people have any clue how some of them are saying that every fifth word in certain sentences. Right. Right. In our office, pre-COVIDian, <laughs> we would have a Toastmasters bell in yeah. our team meetings and we would keep score and we would rattle off who's got the most ums. You know, we're all in the process of, of trying to be more persuasive or a better communicator. So by bringing it to people's attention, it's, it's really easy for them to start weeding it out of their process. So speaking of speaking, uh, how did you get started <laughs> as a speaker? I love that sentence structure, by the way. <laughs> I don't know why I just nerd out on like, speaking of speaking. I don't think I've ever said that sentence before, but <laughs> like it just it. sort of came out that way. Uh, so I actually, I have a unique story. I struggled with learning disabilities growing up. And I was in all of the, not the normal kid classes, but all of the slow kid classes. And when I would get onto the playground or in front of friends, I was always among the most gregarious or best spoken. And my parents just identified that as like a natural talent. And right around fourth grade, I uh, was diagnosed with all these learning disabilities and I had such a negative outlook about myself. And my parents just kept signing me up for every speaking competition that would happen on campus or around town. And before I knew it, it became the only talent that I had was engaging with an audience. It gave me faith in myself and my abilities. And I always knew I was going to be a speaker. I just never knew what my topic was. But I think because I'm so obsessive in, I do a daily hour of learning every day, seven days a week on my industry, that before I knew it, after so many years of reading about digital marketing and moving people through sales processes and video, it just became my topic happened. And then I became a subject matter expert. But for me, speaking is probably my favorite thing to do and the opportunity where I get to serve others and help lift them up. And, and you know, what has been your process? We just talked about it, but your process of improvement, is it, do you watch yourself speak or do you, how do you get better at that? Yeah. Like after I do a speech, I will watch myself. I will walk around the house and practice giving the speech, but I will stop in front of the mirror and I will watch body language and the way that I'm engaging, but I'm a student of this. So I remember when I was, when I was an on-location reporter for Clear Channel and I was at the Bush v. Gore recount in 2000 and Jesse Jackson was going to come speak that day, I was excited to see one of the best speakers of all time do his craft from a stage in front of thousands of people. And my whole life has always been like this. Like when I went to graduation from college, I was really excited to see the speaker that day. Hmm. And so I've just been studying them my whole life and find it to be a bit of a a bizarre passion of mine. And then when I'm working on my speech, I like to work on my speech to the point where I know it, like it's me and I'm not scared. So when I get up there, it's all in my head and I can free flow and allow Todd to be Todd. If you were giving advice, okay, first time speakers getting on a stage, they're well, maybe it's too late at that point. So well, yeah. I'll, I'll retrace that question. Someone tells you they have their first big important speech a week from now. What, what advice would you give them? 
Well, uh, first and foremost, I would say make your speech visual. So use slides. And those slides, you can put your transitions on the slides in text so you know where you are and you can move people from one chapter to the next. And any important saying that you need to drill home, you want to explain it a very specific way, put that text on screen so you can drill it. Now, once you've got that information on there, then think about what your visual examples are going to be. You know, I did this, I'm one of Tony Robbins' business mastery speakers. I did this for my Tony speech, my webinar in June. And because I made the slide deck very visual and I moved through the slides quickly and everything that I gave was massive value to the audience. When I was done with the full hour, I saw the data later, but for the interest of storytelling, I retained 93.6% of the entire audience that started the hour before stayed until completion. And the way you do that is to think about um, your audience and their attention span and how you want to move quickly. But at the same time, you've got to visually be thinking that you're tapping on their forehead. Yeah. You got to visually be thinking that the images that you're going to show have to have some motion to it because people will sit there if like they're watching Netflix and it's moving along and there's visual and the story's powerful. And once you've got all those elements together, you can command somebody all the way through that full speech and get them to take a desired action. But you've really got to orchestrate this in advance. And then when you're ready to get up and deliver it, like to give a speech, Bob, I may, I may put in for a, a keynote speech, I may put in an hour, sorry, a hundred hours in preparation for one killer keynote speech that I'm doing for the first time. Once I've got the speech and now it's on, you know, rinse and repeat, I'm just kind of optimizing it for the audience. But there's a significant amount of time investment in order to stand up there and be a rock star when you do it. Uh, that's an interesting point. You know, I once got uh, some feedback from, I, I got a very high rating, like a 9.2 out of 10 at a co industry conference that I did. Right. And it was sort of a, an info 101 session for people who are coming to that conference for the first time. And then so they have it twice a year. And six months later, I put in again to do it and I did it. And the feedback I got from the, the person was, hey, this is kind of the same thing as last time. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, it's, there's new people coming and I've done it you know, 20 times and it's good now. And, and I actually, it's so funny. I think the opposite, and I agree with you. When you see something presenting something for the first time, it's usually not good. These world-class speakers that you see, you're kind of bummed when you see them a second time because you realize that like all the little like, oh, and the gentleman in the back is laughing as I say, like oh, they're really good. It's a performance. And mm -hmm. I think conferences make a huge mistake in this. I think you should actually, you should want something that is proven in front of audiences <laughs> versus right. something that someone is putting up there for the first time that has a lot, lot more risk. Well, you know, as a speaker that if you get into a room and there are industry professionals that are going to talk about a certain process or how to do a certain thing, and then there's an industry professional that's also a speaker, they're different worlds. And the person who's getting up there to, as an industry speaker may not be thinking about the entertainment factor. Yeah, And that's a really important, like, I know I've got jokes I want to hit. I've got tempo that I'm trying to move across and I'm trying to develop the right level of energy and emotional certainty while I'm doing it. And 
that's a big feat for somebody whose primary focus isn't speaking. Yeah, look, I, I'm in marketing. You're in marketing. You're in an agency, right? I, I, I actually, in your professional services, I find there is huge bias from conference owners to, they, you know, they want the CMO of this company or there's something. Some of those right. people are the CMO of that company. They they are not a speaker, nor nor have they done a speech before, you know, and right. they, but there's a huge bias because they, there's a belief that, you know, the expert person from that service firm is going to get up there and give a sales pitch. Like good speakers don't do that. But right. I've, I've always found that to be a, a sort of bias that, that we've had to fight. Yeah, no, I see it. And it's, it's a, a legitimate concern and yet I think it's a really interesting time to be a speaker because our stories still need to be told. Our lessons need to impact lives. We need to continue to serve people. Like at the beginning of COVID, every one of my speeches, and I'm sure yours, all got canceled. And part of my therapy is being out there and helping to serve people. So I had just had to figure out, like you had, how to pivot and continue to serve and add value and lift up your community's life so they can get to the next level. And that's a really interesting observation about COVID because we probably did, we probably did in six weeks about 10 years of digital evolution yeah. across the entire culture. And that's moving mountains. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it, it just accelerated trends that were already there and people hope right. thinking it's going to go back. I think it's not going to go back. I think it's always changed. I like where you're where you're headed. I actually think most of the transition already took place before COVID. Just the late adopters weren't doing it. Yeah, rem like remote work, same thing. Like a lot of this was right. already underway. People were asking. It just threw it forward five years. Online shopping and all this stuff threw it forward five years, right? Just Just a... A pretty huge acceleration. Absolutely. And it was all um, acceleration by necessity. Yeah. I think the fastest adapters have performed the best. I think the people who are fighting it, right? I've seen the restaurants in our town that just went all in, you know, figured mm -hmm. out delivery in five minutes and set up all new processes or sold, you know, wholesale food or whatever it needed to do. And others who just said, well, until we can do our normal thing that we were doing, we're not going to do it anymore. And, right. and, you know, very different outcomes. Those are different outcomes. And you'll, you'll see that like when you're talking with me about salespeople and adjusting to video, the dinosaurs will be the dinosaurs and yeah. they will think, well, this isn't the way I want to sell. And the people that are open to serving and will figure out how to make people's lives better, will just figure out what is the new delivery mechanism for me to continue to give to other people. And yeah. those are different types of professionals. Yeah. And like I said, you're just, you're just increasing the fossilization process of the dinosaur <laughs> faster, right? <laughs> yeah. All right, Todd, last question for you. What's a personal or professional mistake that you made that you've learned the most from? And that can be singular or I know that's repeated for a lot of people. Well, I think this is a, like that right there for somebody who's very open, it could be a whole podcast episode because... <laughs> Like as a business owner, I think I'm, I keep learning new lessons, but the one that tends to be my favorite is the one that had the biggest impact on our business's bottom line. At the end of 2017, excuse me, the end of 2018, oh, the biggest mistake is not looking under the rug that you sweep problems in, being too embarrassed or too naive to look in areas that you're not good at. Yeah. So to give you an example, uh, my company, my agency did, we created over 3,000 client videos in 2018. And at the end of the year, I looked at the 
profit margin. And I was so depressed with the single digit profit margin and all of the hustle that I did what I normally would not have done. I looked underneath the rug that I swept certain problems in and pulled up that rug and took a good look at it. And what I saw was pricing was a big problem. And once we figured out how to price stuff institutionally across each of the salespeople and to implement from the very beginning what our specific profit margin was that this company needed to have before we would say yes to a project also, because you know it's got to be a win-win. Once we started to figure out what our, our desired profit margin was, within four months, we went from a single-digit company to a company that 7X'd our profit margin all because we started thinking about what our end goal was and lay out that strategy and then institutionalize it around the whole team. And that changed the financial makeup of not only the company, but individual employees with salary increases and my favorite bank account, the bank account of Todd and Wendy. And I highly recommend business leaders to look at the areas that scare them the most, where they have the least information, because that's where they can squeeze out the biggest growth for themselves or their business. That's where the bodies are buried. It's where the bodies are buried, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Todd, where can people learn more about uh, you and your work and what video? I'm sure videos, you must have lots of videos. Lots of videos. Uh, so I drop videos throughout the week on LinkedIn. I've got a Toddcast called Video Marketing Mastery. I think we're on like episode 310. And I also have 20 minutes of free learning as a gift that I'd like to give to your audience, Bob. This is me giving away some of my best secrets on how to sell remotely in this new world using the power of video. And it's basically how you align your sales and marketing team. And for anybody that's listening to this podcast, you can access that 20 minutes of free learning at wirebuzz.com forward slash remote dash sales. You don't have to enter in your email address or anything. I'm just want to make sure people have that knowledge in their head so they could grow their business to the next level. All right. Awesome. Todd, thanks for joining us. And uh, I'm glad we made it happen. I know we've had some scheduling snafus, but uh, this is probably very timely uh, for a lot of people who are very clear that we're still going to be navigating this remote world for a while. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. It's an honor to be on your podcast. And as you know, and I've told you privately, I'm a fan of your work and I've long known about your, your uh, speaking reputation. And so to be on the podcast is a real honor for me. Thank you so much, Bob. All right. Thank you, Todd. To our listeners, thanks for tuning in to the Elevate podcast today. We'll include links to Todd and his work on the detailed episode page at robertglazer.com. If you enjoyed today's episode with Todd, I'd really appreciate it if you could leave us a review as it helps new users discover the show. If you're listening in Apple Podcasts, you can just select the library icon, click on Elevate, scroll down to the bottom and leave your rating and review. It's super fast. Thanks again for your support. Until next time, keep elevating. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world, and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. 
Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously, which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you want to learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join Podcast Royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.